0: Welcome to Jews Do Count with me, Jonathan Boyd, from the Institute for Jewish Policy Research, an independent research organisation that looks at the state of contemporary Jewish life here in the UK and across Europe.
1: And with me, Raymond Simonson. I'm Chief Executive Officer of JW3, London's Jewish Community Centre, which is the home for Jewish culture and conversation.
0: Jews Do Count is a podcast that looks under the bonnet of the British Jewish community. What unites us, what divides us. And we're going to draw on the latest JPR data, the recently published results of the National Jewish Identity Survey, to help ground our conversation in the most recent research we have.
1: And this week, our conversation is focused on a topic that's always been a central component to Jewish identity in one way or another. That's Israel. And right now, of course, it feels like it's the focus of almost every conversation taking place across the community. Certainly from my personal perspective, John, you know, not a single day has passed since October 7th, where Israel just hasn't been a major feature of my thoughts, my conversations, my actions, and even my dreams. Um, The October 7th massacre of over 1,200 Israelis and the kidnapping of over 200 more marked the greatest massacre of Jews since the Holocaust. This episode, therefore, has been a really tricky one for us to think about, to plan, and I'm sure it will be tricky to record. In fact, we're sitting here in jw 3 re-recording this episode completely because we were here, well, it was just before October the 7th, before our world got turned upside down, and we had a really fascinating conversation about Israel. And when we listened back to it a couple of weeks ago, we both agreed... It just didn't really work. It just didn't. It just didn't. Things have moved on. I mean, just change beyond our imagination and now we are in what we all keep calling this post-October 7th world. But at the same time, Israel and how it impacts on British Jewish identity has always been an important topic, right?
0: Yeah, totally. I mean, I'm, I'm also deeply affected by everything that's happened uh, on October the 7th and since October the 7th, it's, it's very difficult to think of anything else. But I suppose the question behind all of that is, w- why is that the case? Um, and the reason is that British Jews and me personally have a very deep connection with Israel. Like when I think about Israel, one of my first memories um, is going, was going there as a 12 year old. It was six months before my bar mitzvah. I went for my cousin's bar mitzvah and my grandparents took me and I just have very, very strong recollections of of that trip and I associate it with with my grandparents and with family so there's that component of Israel that's just that's that's very deep I also you know remember going on an Israel tour as a 16 year old like an Israel summer tour and I, one memory that for some reason really sticks with me is just it's being on the bus and looking out the window and just having this kind of overwhelming sense that this was where biblical history happened. And just that sense of, I have this like very strong connection, historical connection, with this territory,
1: with this land. Right, it has a really, really deep impact. And those layers of that relationship have built up and up and up over the years with you. And I guess similarly with me, my mum's younger sister lives in Israel. And she went out to volunteer during the Yom Kippur War. And never came back, you know, fell in love and had kids and lived there. So we had this very close relative living in Israel. So we had this family connection. And similar to you, we, uh, the first time I went out in about 1981, maybe, 82, and it was my cousin's bar mitzvah, And the whole family was going out with our grandparents to Israel. And it was the first time I was going to meet my cousins there and my aunt there and just doing things like going to the cottel, you know, this, this big wall that I'd heard about, and didn't mean anything to me. And just the size of it, the Jews of all different types being together, you know, going to the Dead Sea together, like doing those kind of classic, I don't know, tick, tick box kind of things. And then the other bizarre bit of that memory for me was I was in the a Jewish Cub Scout uh, pack, and it was, do you remember Bobber Job Week, where you had to do good deeds? Yeah, yeah. Seventh (laughs) Hinden. I'm aging myself. 12th (laughs) Hilford. It was Boba Job Week, and the theme of it was shoe shining. And we were on my aunt's kibbutz, and I'd taken my shoe shine kit, like a good little geek that I am. And there was a a troop of young soldiers, and they were staying at their kibbutz for a week. And there's this great photo of me with about 100 pairs of boots all lined up in the dining room, and me kind of shining all the boots. And what I remember was everyone being so excited that this little English kid was doing his bit. I mean, I didn't feel it like that. It was just a fun thing to do. But anyway, the layers, the layers, they build up and up. So that's a little bit about our own experiences, but before we
0: get too nostalgic, we are living in this post-October the seventh world. So it's important, I think, to hear how Jews out there in the street are thinking about Israel today. And our producer, Richard Myron, has been out and about. He recently went out to a vigil that was held to highlight the fate of the hostages in Gaza to gauge the feelings of British Jews towards Israel in the light of what's going on.
2: Israel to me is like, it's my
3: family. Is where I belong. That's how important Israel is for me. I have family there, I have friends, and that's where I feel my Judaism, if you want to say it that way, in Israel. That's how I'm very strong about it.
0: How, if at all, has your relationship changed to Israel since October the 7th? I feel
3: stronger about Israel now well, than we stronger did before. As, yeah. Stronger and closer now. And stronger for, as for my, I mean, I've been a reformed Jew all my life, but I do feel so much more, as my sister said, stronger as being Jewish. We are
0: British Jews. We're proud to be British, um, but we feel more of an affinity now with Israel because of what's going on.
3: As a Jew in this country, I'm, you know, I'm a British citizen, but I've got that close. I, I, I can't explain it. It's, it. Israel is part of me.
1: What does support for Israel mean? I can say quite clearly,
3: I don't like Netanyahu. And I was really, uh, with, the, with the Justice Bill, I was very very unhappy uh, about how... I, and I feel this, we, we need to go back to a more diverse government. So be, being in love with Israel, and Israel being part of me, doesn't necessarily mean I support the government. What does Israel mean for your Jewish identity?
4: It's where my son lives my son is an Israeli citizen i think if there wasn't an israel it would be much harder for me as a jew to be in the diaspora before october 7th i had never been somebody to protest in a rally or a march form and i've done many here you are um, here i am again so so from that perspective that's changed
0: how if at all has has what's happened changed your the britishness as a part of your identity
4: i still am very british i uh, I'm not one of these people that now want to go and live in Israel. I feel very proud to live in such a multicultural society, but I feel very strongly that I have to be prepared to stand up and be counted as far as Jews are concerned and Israel is concerned.
2: Well, until October the 7th, it wasn't that that much importance to me. But now it is. And I think because now what Israel stands for is civilization. And today, I think that's under threat. And I think Jews, not just in Israel, but everywhere are under threat. And it's now time, whatever my view on Israel might have been, and I was, in my youth, I was very much opposed to what Israel was doing in terms of what I thought was discrimination against Palestinians. I saw, I've got family in Israel, I've been to Israel, I've seen it. But I think now it's very different. I think the, the the political environment has changed 100%. I think now... Israel and anti-Semitism or Zionism is indistinguishable. When people are against Israel, they're basically anti-Semitic. And I think, from that point of view, I now will stand 100% behind Israel.
1: Look, as always with with Israel, with this range of views, you know, even though that was at a rally in support of the hostages, so you think that's already a group of people that are self. You know are choosing to be there to have a relationship with Israel but what we heard was real plurality of views and opinions one of the things that jumped out to me I was thinking as people were talking about you know what it says in the Torah about ishechad belevechad, you know one person with one heart and what I heard people say in those vox pops was this emotional connection this feeling connection I think people there that that, that we heard from are all part of that one big body and that focus on Israel. Israel's in pain, Israel's suffering. I don't agree with you know with Netanyahu someone said. I don't have to like the government, but Israel is important to me. That is something that I think people outside of the Jewish community would struggle a bit to understand, but seems just really obvious to me. Yeah, no, I think that's right.
0: And when we we try to study it, we have to look at it from lots of different perspectives in order to try and capture all of that. So, you know, we will ask questions like, how attached do you feel to Israel? How important is Israel or not in your Jewish identity? Do you consider yourself to be a Zionist or not? How likely are you to make Aliyah, to go and live there? What are your attitudes to Israel politically, culturally, socially? Like all of these things are kind of different ways of, of looking at the relationship and trying to pick up aspects of, of that relationship.
1: I, I'm curious to know one or two things that jump out from the research. What the research tells us about British, and I'm, I'm conscious of the research itself we should say was was carried out before October 7th. But give us a couple of things that it, it tells us about British Jewish communities' attitudes towards Israel and the place it plays in our identity. So I think the
0: most fundamental thing is that vast numbers of us have been. 88% of British Jews have been to Israel at least once. 44% have been six times or more. So we know Israel. But we also see some like interesting bits and pieces. For example, the place of of supporting Israel and people's Jewish identity. So one of the things we see there is this is a distinction by age. So the older you are, the more likely you are to say supporting Israel is an important part of your Jewish identity. The younger you are, the less likely you are to say that. One of the interesting shifts we can see over the course of the last 10 years or so is that the proportion of Jews who self-identify as Zionists has dropped from 72% a decade or so ago to 63% just pre-October the 7th, but at the same time, three-quarters of us, just under three-quarters, 73%, feel attached to Israel, feel a sense of attachment. So the connections are very deep and
1: real, but there are nuances there. So I want to jump in on, on some of those. One of the ones that jumps out to me is this age one. So you're saying the older we are, the more we say that Israel plays an important part in our Jewish identity, that's what you said? Yeah. Any sense, I don't know if it comes out of the data or just from your own experience of of why that is, and is that something worrying, or do we just accept the fact that in the younger generations, they become the older generations, you know, a decade later, and they'll get there? That's always
0: the question that we ask when looking at age-related data, right? Is this a generational thing, or is it a cohort-specific thing? There are reasons to think it's generational, So I think, you know, for the older end of the Jewish community, these are people who experienced very viscerally 1967, 1973, in certain cases, even 1948. So that sense of the miraculous component of Israel's history, um, I think, is more potent for those people, whereas I think for younger people, they've grown up with Israel just as a norm. There's another kind of interesting dimension, though, in terms of the age data, which is people our age, people in their 50s, are those that are most likely to feel attached. So I think there's there's a question about people in their 40s and 50s and whether there's something specific about them that would cause them to feel a stronger sense of connection. And that may be because there was a a real strong attempt in the Jewish community in the the 90s and early noughties to really invest in in formal Jewish education, in Israel experience programs, and building that connection. So there may be something specific about that generation that we're
1: picking up in the data as well. So pretty much what we're saying is it is complex, right? There's a lot in it. To help us unravel this issue and to widen the conversation, we are now joined by a a good friend of ours, a colleague of ours, someone who's devoted so much of his career immersed in the world of Jewish and Israel education, uh, Robin Moss. Robin, hello. Hi. So Robin, I know you know this, but uh, you are currently the chief executive of UNITAS, the fantastic Barnett Youth Zone. And prior to that, you were deeply involved as an educator, a leader, strategic thinker, and much more, trying to help build meaningful connections between British Jewish community and Israel. Uh, including, I know you were the head of strategy and the head of Israel engagement at the UJIA, which is a community charity, and we're very lucky to have you with us today. Uh, welcome. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you very much. Or Welcome back, I should have said, right? Yes, this is our second go at this. Right,
0: because we recorded this pre-October the 7th and the conversation has probably shifted on a little bit. So let's, uh, and that's part of what we'll explore. Let me just start with a fairly simple question, which is your interest in Israel. Where does, where does that come from?
3: My uncle, my dad's brother, had made Aliyah before I was born, actually. So when I was a, a small child, we actually visited him and his family there. Most of my kind of the childhood that I remember, and my early you know, kind of teenagehood, Israel wasn't a particularly big part of my Jewish identity of our story uh, as a family. But really what changed for me was joining youth movement. So I... At the time, it was called Altsmik Netzer. So it's now called LJY Netzer. So I went on their summer camp when I was 13 and had a, really a transformative experience, like so many people do. And really, that's what began my connection to Israel. Both initially learning about it, obviously meeting Israelis, and then when I was 16, going on an Israel tour in the middle of the Second Intifada, which was an interesting experience in and of itself. It escalated from there, and I got more and more involved, visited uh, lots more, you know, built a network of friends there, and then when I finished, um, I was a movement worker for two years and when I finished movement work, I went to work at UJA where I was for almost 10 years. So for me, the personal and the professional have kind of uh, have, uh, ended up coming together and uh, yeah, it's uh, now a kind of lifelong passion.
1: So we're both sitting, John and I are both in here smiling because what you've just said could have been, you know, straight out of our own uh, biographies. But of course, you know, as we were saying at the top of this episode, there's something about where we were, the Israel that we grew up with and there's something now that feels like a unique moment, like how concerned are you or, or what do you think about what's going on right now, where we find ourselves and how that's going to impact on you know the coming years? So I think that there's a kind of October 6th set of factors
3: and trends going on and an October 8th set of factors and trends going on. And, and I think it's important to kind of recognise both of them. So if we begin with the first, you know, there is, and John's report, uh, report, Bears this, out. JPR's report bears this out, there has been a long-standing generational decline in attachment to Israel across a whole range of measures. And that's a sociological, a demographic, to some extent, a political trend, which has been going on for at least a generation and maybe longer. And to some extent, that does continue. And even though, you know, of course, October 7th changed everything, but maybe not literally everything. On the other hand, October 7th or the the October 8th conversation is one where Israel is now absolutely at the centre of our collective community conversation. For the majority of Jews of all ages, Israel suddenly feels closer. It feels more immediate. The the bonds of Jewish peoplehood feel tighter. And part of that is about Israel. And part of that is about, obviously, anti-Semitism in the UK and the feeling of, I don't know, being a bit let down by British society at uh, what is a very difficult time. And so all of those things are kind of happening all at once. You have the long-term sociology, which still continues, but you also have this new re-rise of identification and attachment to Israel and to Jewish peoplehood.
0: I want to pick up on October the 6th, first of all. So you talked about that trend by age, that the younger you are, the, the more distant you feel to Israel. Is that a generational sociological thing that's happening? Are young people just feeling less and less connected? Or... Has their relationship just become normalised?
3: Yeah, I I think you're absolutely right to to highlight it. So first of all, young people and younger people go to Israel in extraordinary numbers. Almost all Jewish young people will go to Israel at some point, often on a structured programme. Almost all Jewish young people have access to Israel through like EasyJet through Netflix, through Spotify, Israeli culture, that Israel in the world is much, much more present than it ever was. It's no longer exoticized. Also, always worth, in these conversations, mentioning that I think it's 6% of British Jews are Israeli. And so I think you're right that it's not the case that distancing simply means young people don't care about or feel connected to or want to go to or want to explore Israel. Having said that, Young and younger people, perhaps we should put it because it's not only young people, do tend to be at least outside the Haredi community, which is a growing section of the community, but for the the mainstream community, do tend to be more universalistic in their outlook, more dovish in their political views on Israel, and more troubled by some of uh, the Israeli government's policies and actions. But again, it's not a simple straight line trend, even if the data on the kind of the, the page of the report, looks like it is a straight line trend. It hides richness and complexity and definitely hides nuance.
1: See, I'm too young to have to have my identity affected by Yom Kippur War, Six Day War, or those kind of things. But in my generation, we had things like peace conferences. Then we had the murder of Rabin, which was so impactful. And in fact, for, for most of my crowd, that that made us feel most strongly towards Israel. And I think the romanticized idea of Israel, partly, as we say, the easy Jet generation where you can just hop on a plane and go over there more, and it made it a little bit more kind of normalized there. I also wonder at the same time, you know, I said before about this, this great love of youth movements that the three of us share, whether... They're not quite at the same strength as they once were Uh, that's not a criticism of them You know times have changed and that worries me about how that might play out over the coming decade
3: Yeah, so first of all my personal story Equivalent when I was 13. I went on this youth in summer camp. It was the summer of 2000 and I have a very clear memory A formative memory for me of the shlicha from the Jewish agency who was on the camp, sitting us 13-year-olds, slightly bemused Jewish kids down in in Sussex uh, in the south of England and saying, at the moment, in a place called Camp David in America, Israeli and Palestinian leaders are meeting to end the conflict. And possibly by the end of our camp in Camp David over there, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict will end. And those kind of keystone images, obviously for, a, for one generation, the foundation of the state and the end of the Holocaust. For another generation, the Six-Day War, the Yom Kippur War. For my generation, the peace process, Camp David, and then the Intifada and you know terrorism. And then for a generation where wars in Gaza and messiness and complexity, but actually now a new generation where the defining image is October 7th and the aftermath of October 7th, that kind of provides the, the substrate upon which people intellectualize and understand and articulate their connection to Israel. A new generation can't escape that their substrate includes the greatest massacre of Jews since the Holocaust.
0: I, I think that's one of, the, one of the really interesting things about the place of Israel in Jewish identity is how events at a given moment in time shape how we see it.
1: No, I agree. And there's a big difference, right? And I don't want to oversimplify it, but some of those examples are what I would simplify and call sort of positive and hopeful moments handshakes on the lawn at the white house or peace treaties or whatever and others were obviously negative and horrific and i wonder if from your just personal experience and views robin if you think there's a difference in how those experiences forge the connection between british jews and israel as in Do the negative impacts have a very different way of cleaving us towards Israel or pushing us away from than the positive? Or do you think they can all play to sort of slightly different roles? I think they can definitely all play slightly different roles.
3: I don't subscribe, you know, there's the thing in like personal psychology where every criticism year you have to hear 10 nice things to overcome it. I don't subscribe to the view that there's like an equivalent to that in terms of identity, that this is a bit crass, and apologies for that, but like for every October 7th, very scarring moment, you need 10 handshakes on the White House lawn. But I do think they tug on different elements of the Jewish soul, if you like. So the suicide bombings in the Second Intifada, which were very impactful on me, definitely play into my feeling of insecurity or security and insecurity, my feeling of protective defensiveness of Israel, and also just like on a very emotional level, like mourning with the people of Israel. On the other hand, I think the positive uh, kind of memories taps into not only an optimism that we might have about the Jewish people and about Israel, but also kind of pride, universalism. You know, look look at this state that we've created. Isn't it
1: wonderful? Don't you want to show it to your friends kind of thing? So, so last year, you know, a key theme of the kind of British Jewish community's relationship with Israel last year, before October the 7th, was all this democracy concerns, the judicial Reforms, or whatever you want to call them, whichever way I call them, uh, some will be, someone will be upset, I'm sure. And that was suddenly seeing greater numbers of people gathering to get engaged in a conversation about Israel in greater numbers than I'd seen for quite a few years. And I found that just really interesting to observe and to be part of. And I just wonder if you saw during that time there was something about a growing connection to Israel or just a growing vocalisation in a different way. Probably, I'd say the latter. There
3: weren't many people who had would not say I was I wasn't interested in Israel at all. And suddenly, when you know there might be a law to overturn the reasonless clause, I suddenly got interested. The other thing I would say that's interesting about the judicial reform is it's a really good example of something where. Actually, the details of it are enormously complicated. And yet it tugged on something very, very deep in the connection to Israel, for British Jews at least, which is most British Jews cannot imagine an Israel which is not Jewish and cannot imagine an Israel that's not democratic. I want to pick up on the
0: post of the October 8th conversation for a moment. One of the things it seems to me, looking at that in some sort of historical context, is that if you go back in time, there was a sense that the way the Jewish community saw Israel was at least somewhat aligned with the way wider society saw Israel. Um, there were kind of overlapping narratives to some extent. Now it feels like there aren't overlapping narratives anymore. There are oppositional narratives. There's the Jewish community seeing Israel as a victim, the wider, wider society seeing Israel as a oppressor. All of that, it seems to me, has a really very significant impact on how we as British Jews and Jews around the world feel in terms of our relationship with Israel. Does that resonate for you? And can we begin to pull those narratives back together so there is a kind of a shared narrative between the Jewish community and wider society?
3: It definitely resonates with me up to the bit where you said it, it's about British Jews and their connection to Israel. Because actually, I think it's much more about British Jews and their connection to Britain. First of all, again, it's important to say there are Jews who don't share that characterisation. Um, of, of the group of British Jews, I think the majority, probably the vast majority, who do share that characterization. I think that there is a real challenge about stitching back our sense of Britishness. And again, I don't want to catastrophize. British Jews are still very, very British. But there is that real disconnect. And many people feel it in the workplace or feel it talking or often not talking to their non-Jewish friends. It first came up in the immediate aftermath of October 7th of like the you know this kind of um, hashtag, I'm not OK. You know, and nobody's asking me about it. And this retreat to Jewish spaces where I just need somewhere where I can exhale a little bit and that we all know we're not okay and we don't have to say that or we can talk about it if we want it's now become um you know a real potential sense of betrayal like you know israel is fighting the as we heard in the vox pop the civilizational war that is really part you know britain is up on is on the same side of but that's not always how it feels but also i think they touch on something very very deep a sense that jews have had for 200 years to some extent of like what actually is our place in the west Um, The West has been very good to the Jews in many ways. And, you know, I would not want to live in a non-Western society, to put it very bluntly. However, there are elements of what at least many Jews feel the West has or is becoming that are very, very challenging to, I think, a conception of Jewish identity that includes a close connection to Israel. Being in Jewish communal spaces now, I've never seen people feel as alienated from the kind of I hate this term, but like the liberal ideal uh, uh, version of the West that they
1: see. And that's, that's very difficult, I think. Robin, everything you say, you know, resonates so strongly with me. In fact, it was quite emotional hearing you say that. Uh, it caught me by surprise. Um, despite the fact that I'm involved in these conversations every day at the moment, just sitting here and hearing you articulate it in that way um, has really affected me. And actually, in, in, a, in a, a, an upcoming episode, we are focusing on the role of anti-Semitism in shaping our Jewish identity. So, thank you, Robin. As always, any conversation that we have gives me a lot of food for thought. I'm sure the same for you, John. Absolutely. Israeli food, I hope. Uh, Israeli food, (laughs) falafel. (laughs) But sadly, we have to bring this conversation to a close. Well, thank you for having me for the second time. and uh... Hopefully, hopefully, there won't need to be a third time. Amen. Amen. So much to chew over in that conversation with Robin John, but one thing I want to start with is, you know, this language that came up in what he said about October six and October eight. So I just wanted to kind of explore that a little bit more with you, just from what you feel, because I know there isn't, you know, you, you all of your research or your data is is October six and and before, right? Yeah. But just your sense from what you've seen of how you think if you were doing a piece of research in a year's time with the same questions. What do you think maybe will have changed uh, for the better or the worse in our relationship with Israel? One of the pieces of work we're doing in
0: JPR right now is preparing for the next survey. You know, there's a whole internal conversation going on about how do we measure attitudes to Israel in a way that allows us to compare with previous data, but also acknowledges the fact that something happened on October the 7th and subsequently and how does that affect or alter or change the way in which we think about you know what we need to ask and what we need to explore so it's a very live kind of question for us and I'm not sure I have clear answers right now and I think the other thing to say also about kind of pivotal what feel like pivotal moments in the moment right now October the 7th looms very very large. Now, in a year's time, in five years' time, in 10 years' time, in 50 years' time, in 100 years' time, will it be one of those pivotal moments or not? And obviously, only
1: time will tell. When we think about big moments, sometimes in the moment and in the immediate aftermath, ripples are still there, and we're still in that, so it's impossible for us to say. But then sometimes that dies down. So right now we say so many people are talking about Israel. So many people, you know, we have this lovelock hostage bridge at January 3 and hundreds of people are coming to attach a padlock of love and support for the hostages. It's on people's minds. It's, 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 in every, it's not just on the front pages of the Jewish newspapers. It's on every page of the Jewish newspapers. But I suspect at some point that starts dying down and other things become the front page news. However, my personal experience is, and I'm thinking particularly the mid nineties, the early mid nineties, my, so much of my relationship with Israel and therefore my Jewish identity was centered around what felt like a peace process. And I I had this, I mean, Rabin was one of my heroes at the time, really one of my heroes and his murder had a massive impact on my relationship with Israel and Israel's place in my Jewish identity. And it still does to this day. Now, it hasn't pushed me further away from Israel, but it absolutely changed the nature of that relationship and my sense of what Israel is and what it could be and what it wasn't. And it really, I mean, to this day, all these years later, and I'm wondering if we're in one of these moments now where the impact is gonna be fundamentally changed. Whether the people that are cleaving closer to Israel and it's a bigger part of their lives, remains a bigger part of their lives. And whether those for whom, and Robin alluded to them, it may be a smaller amount, but are really struggling with what they see that Israel is doing in Gaza, and it's pushed them further away from Israel, whether that divide becomes bigger and whether we see that play out, is that gonna be a bigger issue? And those are the kind of things that are swirling around in my mind. Yeah, they're great questions. Look. What are,
0: my, what are my hunches? At least, I think, in the short term, a, a sense of, of shared solidarity around it. There were a lot of people in shul in the Absolutely. weeks immediately after October the 7th. Like and people, we had that here. We right. had
1: people coming. They didn't have a particular activity. They just wanted to be, be together, together right. and in a Jewish right. space and in a Jewish space that was warm and open towards Israel rather than hostile right, right, or ambivalent. right.
0: Israel can and does on occasion play that role of being a real unifying power. But it can also play a dividing power. My hunch is that October the 7th is a moment of coming together. But as I said, until we actually look at the data and look at it over time and see how things evolve over the next you know, few months and years it's really, really difficult to know exactly how it's how it's impacted
1: us. I kind of want to finish with just a, a, one thought, which is, you know, Robin spoke a little bit about being optimistic and optimism. He said that a few times and I always thought and I described myself as an optimist. But I found it really hard to be optimistic, both about Israel and about the impact of Israel on our Jewish identity at the moment. And then I kind of turned, as I often do, to some of the writing of the former chief rabbi, Lord Jonathan Sachs, um, who taught us that, and I'm just going to read this to you, this great quote, optimism and hope are not the same. Optimism is the belief that the world is changing for the better, and hope is the belief that together we can make the world better. Optimism is a passive virtue and hope an active one. And I've been thinking about that a lot with this recently, and that whole idea is I am hopeful more hopeful than optimistic because to be optimistic would be this assumption that th- things will play out okay in Israel and things will get better in our relationship. But I don't buy that. But I do believe that together, by the conversations we have, by the actions we take, by being together in community, as you just said, we actually can improve this situation and we can make sure that Israel is strong again and that we the British Jewish community are strong in our relationship and in our conversation with Israel whatever our views and that's where my hope is for the British Jewish community's relationship with Israel yeah I think that's a a great place to finish so that does bring us to an end of this week's episode on Israel And following up next week, we've got a conversation all about antisemitism, but specifically, again, looking at it through the lens of how antisemitism impacts On British, yeah, exactly, on British identity, and our sense of us. So please do join us again next week. Uh, Make sure you subscribe to this series wherever you get your podcasts on Apple or Spotify, whatever you do. And don't forget to tell your friends and family. Please share the links on all your social media, and it would really help us if you leave a a review or a rating, five stars, of course. Of course. Um, So all it remains for me to say is uh, goodbye from me, Raymond.
0: And from me, Jonathan Boyd. This podcast is brought to you by JPR and JW3. The producer is Richard Myron from Earshot Strategies. Bye for now. We'll see you next week.